Welcome to the Hospitality Mavericks podcast with me, Michael Tinkstein. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In this episode, I have Robert Hall, who has decades of experience as a restaurant operator in Washington. He's also the founder of Cheviot Court Restaurant Consulting, and in 2014, he was nominated as manager of the year by the Restaurant Association in Washington. Robert had worked for a number of renowned chefs and restaurateurs, such as Todd English, Jonathan Waxman, Jose Andres, and many, many more. We talked about the current pandemic, impact on restaurants now and long-term, as well as how to reboot your business and get back into action, and also the power of being a local restaurant operator in the new now. There's some great out-of-the-box thinking here for you to implement. Tune in and enjoy. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the another episode of the Hospitality Maverick podcast. And today I'm joined by uh, somebody from the US. It's Robert Hall. And Robert and I, we connected via the, the amazing thing called the World Wide Web. I thought that you guys out there, you needed to hear a bit about Robert's story and where he's been because he spent most of his life in, in hospitality and, and has really been hit by the, the current storm we're in right now, the coronavirus the paradigm shift i would call it throws into the restaurant world and robert and i will talk a bit about that today so robert welcome to the podcast thank you it's a pleasure for you and i to finally make our two planets align and make this project happen so robert who are you and what have your journey been in hospitality over the the last couple of decades yeah, a little over 35 years. I fell into the industry as I feel it, so many of us, unless we inherited this business from our families, fell into it accidentally, an after-school job in high school at the Ground Round in 1983 in St. Louis, where I grew up. And I immediately found a love for this business, worked there for three or four summers. My father was the director of Parks and Recreation with the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra performing in his parks. I got involved with designing the catering programs there and just immediately fell in love with this business. My life's goal was to go into professional theater and music and singing and dancing and acting, which I did. Came to Washington in 1988, got my Bachelor of Music Theater degree from Catholic University here in Washington. Had a short but very successful theater career, but began to get very burned out. But all the while had been kind of moving forward further and further with restaurants and getting deeper and deeper into my passion for this business and realizing perhaps the path of restaurants and hospitality for my life was really the best path of all because while I did not come from a hospitality or restaurant family, per se, as you and I had spoken uh, several times, the food aspect of our lives and our family and our culture and our history and what happens around that food was always a very, very deep anchor and a deep foundation for us. And certainly, as all the listeners know, there is more than enough of a theater aspect to what we do in restaurants and its ilk every single day. So coming to Washington, you know, I, I had never been to Washington but once for my interview and audition for the university, but immediately because of it, again, a third passion of philosophy and politics and political science and being as ingrained in all of that world as I was, I found myself at the tender age of 18 at the absolute top, not of my career, but of all three of the things about which I was most passionate, restaurants, hospitality, food, theater, in Washington, D.C., the political capital of the world. And my career just took off from there. I was lucky enough to be in this industry at a time to work with some pretty amazing chefs 
chefs, uh, Larry Forgione, Jonathan Waxman, Michael Weinstein from Arc Restaurants out of New York, helped open McCormick and Schmick's for Bill and Doug McCormick when they began their expansion out of the Pacific Northwest, helped open several locations here in Washington, got to know Jose Andres quite well, was his general manager at one of the Haleo locations here in D.C., and then just began to get bigger and bigger and more and more involved and more and more passionate about this industry. And uh, you're absolutely right. You know, it is uh, a showbiz. Bill Collins goes on. He's a, he's, he has about a, a restaurant chain, about 100 restaurants here in the UK. And he's, he talks about putting on a show. That's what your, your job is to do every day. Absolutely. You know, and I've used the comparison, Michael, for years in training and in pre-shift meetings for my staff. The parallels are really remarkable. You know, we are a group of completely different people gathered together for a common cause. We put on the character. The audience is different every single night. The set is the dining room. The costumes are the uniforms. The script is the wine list and the menu. The style of acting is the steps of service. But yet, how do we make that show... As fresh and as exciting when you're nine weeks into the tour as it was the second or third night that, that the curtain went up. So we have the responsibility to be deeply involved, not only with one another and in sync with one another, but so intensely focused on the guest. So how do I modify my message differently from this table to that table, from Tuesday to Friday, from February to August, so that it still seems bright and new and exciting? And I think, you know, perhaps a very, very skilled bartender is the perfect example of that. While a bartender, especially here in D.C., bartenders tend to be characters. They develop these personas and they're known for their style or their cocktails or their dress or their tattoos or whatever it might be. But if you look at a 25-seat bar, that bartender is going to treat the two old Korean War buddies differently than he is the three college seniors, differently than he is the husband and wife celebrating their 10th anniversary, different than he is the three frat buddies of his at the end of the bar. But at the end of the day, it's the same message. So it's very, very much like theater. Taking that the theater has really been hit now, I've never, ever seen something like that. And my mom is a seasoned former restaurateur, and uh, I talked with her about it. She can't remember if she's seen anything like it. And then my dad said there's like, and he was part of the Second World War. He says it has the same kind of feeling of the, the wartime when things close down and things like that. Well, it, it does, but even the comparison, and we've been closest comparison that I think that so many people now can compare it to, it would be one of two major marks, either when Kennedy was shot in the U.S. or 9-11 for us. And it's catastrophic as those two occasions were for our country. The idea of hospitality and the local bar and the restaurant, that was the place that we ran to. That was the solace. That was the home place where we could all be together and, and share stories and cry and laugh and somehow feel safer or feel warmer. And now, given the nature of what's happening, we have been robbed of the very thing which we need the most in the face of this crisis. How do you describe from a U.S. point of view what's happened? Because, you know, I guess the U.S. is also is a massive country. There's as many states you're based out in Washington. But what, what is happening over there right now? How, how is the restaurant world adapting to this new now in a way? And, and, and what are the consequences you already can see? Because we, we all know this 
going to be, you know, some quite drastic consequence of this. I've, I've talked with people that talks about 40 to 50% of all restaurant units is going to be gone within 12 to 18 months. They may be going to go back and try to get their business up and running again, but quite quickly they're going to face that, you know, it's not going to be possible. We are we are running out of energy, money, opportunities to, to keep this alive. So what, what is happening on your side? I've heard much of those same numbers. I, I have heard from some studies and some experts, some numbers that are even worse, where if it's a single owner or a single unit restaurant or a smaller company that only has two or three locations, there could be as much as 75% casualties. Because I think at the beginning, and actually it was only a couple of days before you and I talked when this all began, we thought it was going to be two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Okay, we take a little hit and things will come back. When you look at the gravity and the expanse of time that has already been exhausted. And with the full knowledge, when these cities and these states begin to open, and there is no need for us to get into the controversy about when that date will come, but when it comes, unfortunately, it's not going to be the situation where on day two, all of the staff is back in the restaurants. The restaurants are right back where they were before the pandemic. It is going to be a very, very long time for the industry to be able to regain its momentum to where this was. And I think that's going to be worldwide. You know, the comparison is very similar to a locomotive, you know, whereas in this occasion, the locomotive was ground to a halt over the course of a week. A locomotive cannot pull the throttle and be moving at 145 miles an hour again. It takes several miles for that locomotive to get its momentum and to get its engagement and to be back up to its full operating energy. You know, the majority of the restaurants here in DC, I'd say it's about half and half, you know, half have fully closed with hope of someday reopening. The other half that are remaining open are trying to get by with deliveries and to-go orders. And the city council here in D.C. has made great modifications to food and beverage licenses, allowing for off-premise delivery of not only beer and wine, but of bottles of liquor, of pre-batched cocktails. So anything that the industry can do to sort of keep itself moving, because it's very sad to say, at least what we've experienced here in Washington, the assistance that was to have come from the emergency relief bill and the amount of money that was to have been relegated to small businesses, particularly those in D.C. that are restaurants, has been virtually nil. The phrase that's going around Washington of late is, if you're waiting for the Calvary to come rescue you, you need to wise up. They're not going to come. So any salvation is going to have to come either from within the restaurant, within the company, but greater it is coming from within the community. One thing why I absolutely fell in love not only with this industry, but with this industry in this city is is the remarkable and deeply, deeply powerful sense of community. This is a very large city, 750,000 residents just in the district, not counting Maryland and the Virginia suburban areas, probably close to 10,000 restaurants in those areas. But yet we all feel like we work in a small town. If you're in the city downtown, you can't walk into or work in another restaurant where you don't encounter somebody that you've worked with previously, or you knew who worked with somebody you worked with previously. There's a tremendous sense of family. And that is what has been getting us through, through getting this industry through the sense of charity, the sense of community. There are dozens of restaurants that are doing community outreach and either putting together meal packages for the community or meal packages for restaurant workers, setting up GoFundMe accounts for one another. This sense of the community itself, ignorant of what other help it may hope to 
receive from the government, be it local or federal, the community itself has stepped up and it has just been absolutely moving to see. It's very interesting what you're saying here. Like uh, some operators decided to close and hibernate and wait for the cavalry to come. I'm a bit of a the, the other ways around. If there's any way you can keep your business open in any kind of way, you can keep on moving. And when you keep on moving, you keep on innovating and find new ways and stimulating your brain. When you just sit and wait, this is a very rough analogies on the sofa at home to get the golden nuggets it's probably going to be hard because you're not activating yourself in a way you're not trying really to work on it because you can't make a plan this time you need to evolve as the situation evolves you can only evolve with the situation it's a bit like war you need to be on the battlefield to see what's going on to make the right decision here now and it could be the way you operate this week will be different next week because a new opportunity pops up and if you keep you alive and talk on social media and so on there'll suddenly be opportunity on the other side I think the one thing you said there as well doing the right thing is more important than ever and of course you should do the right thing because you deeply down believe it. you have to be authentic about it and those companies will be remembered after this because that's normally what happens in warfare there's some companies that just went above and beyond in warfare or in very crisis moments and they often afterwards get opportunities and thrive on a different level and stop thinking about that you have to make profit on everything also doing the right thing sometimes the profit comes later much later but then it comes big Agreed. And, you know, and there's a word that has been resonating through my head, not only through this, but for myself personally over the last six months or so. And that word is relevance. So frequently we use the word, especially when a restaurant is five years, seven years, 15 years, 20 years. What are you doing to remain relevant, to remain on the tip of the tongue, to remain present in what is known and what is talked about? And while I think before that was almost purely based from a business aspect, what are you doing to generate business? What are you doing to maintain a social media presence? What are you doing to get on this list or on that review? In my mind, the relevance has changed because just as you said, you had some choices. When this pandemic came and when the government mandates came about shutting down, in my mind, there were three, maybe four choices you could make. You either shut down entirely, as you said, and you go to hibernate and you wait it out and you hope for the best and if the cavalry comes or you have your own financial resources and then you re open. Or if you're a large company, you know, a large corporation, you can afford to close some locations knowing that the financial wherewithal will be there to hopefully restore those when the pandemic is over. Or if you are a smaller restaurant that believes so firmly in this sense of community, as we do, you can maintain that presence because not only are you doing something to maintain the business, to keep it running, to generate some revenue, you are taking care of the community, our brother and sisterhood that we love so much. And that idea of your contribution, your sense of charity, your sense of almost a perceived selfless giving in this time goes miles with the dining audience. Because I found over the past five, maybe 10 years, especially with the tremendous aggressive advent of social media, of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, but particularly review platforms here in the US, like Open Table and TripAdvisor and Yelp, the industry has changed to be much more from a guest perspective, much, much more emotionally based than it is operationally based. So while you look at 
perhaps a, a, a swath of negative reviews that a restaurant might get. It used to be about food quality and service and credit card handling and wine service. And now it's about how they made me feel. She was dismissive. They were rude or positive. He made us laugh. We had such fun with her. And they don't even talk about the service. So that says to me that people are going to lean much more strongly towards restaurants about which they feel strongly emotionally. And with that mindset in place, the things that these restaurants are doing now to keep themselves going, those are the restaurants that are going to surge. Those are the restaurants that are going to really, really succeed and come out as champions of this battle. Now we actually you you take us into the next thing and talk about so how does actually this future landscape look because there's no doubt about you know I've talked with a couple of other people where I say that you know as long as we don't have a cure or a vaccine this will be part of how we operate for a period and that could be from you know I would say it's probably 18 months conservative and you know worst case will maybe be a bit more than a couple of years you know that's going to impact restaurants and the trust you have to go out and sit next to other people and i guess that what you're talking about is that these people they have an emotional connection with this restaurant and they are really willing to you know even buy up dinners they will have in three months time in advance to keep the business open and they will do things because they have they already had that emotional connection before they close and i work with a client of mine and they have sold so many call them loyalty cards or you know gift cards for when they open again so they're keeping it running with pre-sales because people trust them on a such a enormous level this family that they're gonna come back and put on a show and treat them like kings and queens i think that it's time that we all come to the realization and i i do want to narrow this conversation of course specifically to the world of restaurants and hospitality that i think we need to begin to have some real tough conversations with ourselves and with one another and a real hard awareness of what is happening i do agree with you that i think purely from a mechanical, clinical, operational standpoint, we are looking at 18, perhaps 24 months before things can be back to a place like what they were. But I think that, and I really do hate to say this, I think that the restaurant industry, at least here in the US and knowing it as well as I do, that the restaurant industry has been fundamentally and perhaps permanently changed. Because when you look at restaurants, and if you espouse to this philosophy that you and I are sort of prescribing about how a emotionally important it is, not being able to go to that place you love and be there as frequently as you want and be there as close to your neighbor at the stool, at the table, in the dining room, on the dance floor as you want, it hurts. It really hurts. And it feels like the loss of a loved one. Like I won't mention the brand name or the specific location. I don't want to give anybody you know promotional preference here, but anybody from Washington, D.C. that knows me and listens to this broadcast know that there's a place I go where I go five, six, seven days a week for close to 25 years. And the longest I was ever absent from that place in probably 25 years was maybe three or four days. And I have not been there in nearly 60 days. And it hurts. It hurts. You know, the things that I drink there, the things that I eat there, it's not one of the top 10 restaurants in Washington. But you know what? It's my place. The things that I eat and drink, I'm drinking them in my house. I'm making them in my house. It doesn't taste the same. It's not the same because it's not in my place. We need to begin to look at ways. When I say we, are we a restaurant? Are we a company? Are we an industry within this city? We need to begin to look at ways of just like where we began this conversation, Michael, of how do we get across the same message, providing great service, 
great food, great beverages in a comfortable, safe atmosphere to a welcoming public whom we are happy to see. How do we still achieve that while learning to do it a completely different way? And it is almost as though, and I don't mean to be overly globally poetic, but if you look at the history of restaurants, and if you choose to say that the modern organized restaurant goes back to, say for sake of our discussion, 16th century France or England, the common house on the side of the road where the traveler could stay and get a good meal before moving on. That's 400 years of history that has been arrested to a very dramatic and very, very catastrophic halt. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need to start over, but the resumption of that path, the resumption of that momentum, I really don't believe is possible. So how do we continue that mission? How do we continue to broadcast that gospel while finding a completely different way to do it? In this time of necessity, purely out of urgency, when you see these restaurants stepping up and becoming involved from a charity aspect, maybe that's the avenue. Maybe that's the path. While yes, we certainly want to go back to being a fully operational restaurant, have we realized in this time of need, not only what we can do in a time of need, but what we can do from now on? Realizing, my God, look at the impact we've had on these people. Not just that I fed them tonight because of the pandemic, but I hadn't talked to you about this, and I thought about this just a couple of days ago, I think that the people who are lucky, lucky enough to be in a position right now of providing meals from a charity standpoint, be it to the community, be it to other restaurant workers, maybe that is the most powerful and the most effective way of realizing what it is we're supposed to be doing in restaurants. That my God, look what I just did. I handed somebody a styrofoam container with some grilled chicken and rice and steamed broccoli in it, and they started crying. That to me, as tragic and as unfortunate and as horrible as this whole situation is, that to me sums up exactly what a restaurant has the duty and the responsibility to do. It's not to be the sexiest and most expensive build out. It's not to have a DJ several nights a week more than your competitor. It's not to have more Twitter and Instagram followers. It's how did I make the most amount of people feel? And I think that restaurants who come out of this with that perhaps self-changing awareness, not just community-changing awareness, but that self-changing awareness, those are the uh, people that will begin to rediscover the new ways of continuing in this industry and making the impact that food can make in our communities. It's a bit like uh, soul-searching. That's what you were saying that's going on now. And uh, you know you can be one of the casualties, so you you just have to find, you really dig deep to find your new ways. And it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen because every week or every day something new happens in this world. But how do you think from a restaurant point of view, how is the landscape going to look? Is there going to be uh, more change? Are there going to be more you know, independent restaurant? What, what is going to happen, you think, over the next couple of years with the, the restaurant market, which has been very dominated by chains and branded restaurants and so on? Um, they're not the majority of the restaurant market. We always have to remember the independent restaurant in many, many markets globally are still the core, a lifestyle business kind of thing. I mean, I would say at least from a Washington, D.C. perspective, I mean, certainly anyone's prediction is going to be an educated guess at best. I think my answer is perhaps a bit of real-time awareness of business acumen and of personal hope. I think what the restaurant industry and the landscape is going to look like is that, yes, there will still be a very, very strong presence of the chain and corporate aspect. Do I want to use the word dominance? No. I don't. I don't think you know that there are some large chains that are closing many locations uh, nationwide. I think a great deal of those locations are not going to reopen. 
And I think that when you begin to see a resurgence, because, you know, if you believe in this epiphany, this rising from the ashes of the phoenix that is the restaurant business, it's not just the business that is going to be rising, it is going to be the dining public that is going to be rising. And I think perhaps out of this forcefully found courage that restaurants have adopted, that maybe they begin to be revolutionary in their own right, that we begin considering opening company XYZ, let's say opens a tremendously successful location here in Georgetown. They decide to open a second location in DuPont Circle, a third location down on the waterfront at the wharf. What about a fourth location? How about in a community that can afford it, but is relegated to eating fast food and strip mall and shopping mall food because nobody thinks about them? We have to come downtown. And that once a week, two times a month, five times a year, we are doing community involvement. Not because we have to in the face of a crisis or a catastrophe, and not because we want to because we need to. That is what the civic responsibility of a restaurant is, because I think we've all found with the restaurants being ripped away from us right now, we're all painfully aware of how important they are. And that importance is not just, as I said for me, not just that's my spot to get a drink. That's my family. That's my clubhouse. That's my home away from home. Well, if you're a part of the community, just like we are as citizens, you don't just get to live in the community and enjoy police protection and have your trash picked up and go to the park and play on the Saturday. You have a responsibility. You have to pay tax. You have to get involved. You have to follow the law. You have to be a contributing member of that community. So I think you're going to begin to see some, well, the word is revolutionary, some revolutionary reinventing of people and companies in this industry to not only make themselves remain financially sustainable and, you know, to use that word again, relevant, but they will come out of this with the awareness of the impact that they can have on their communities. And and I will use the prime example of this is Jose Andres. You know, Jose, of course, tremendously successful here in Washington with the Haleo and Zetinia, then with Cafe Atlantico and Minibar coming from his history with Ferran Adria and Albuy, and then with his company, exploding nationwide, then internationally, did he have to become the person that he is now? Absolutely not. He was not required to do that, but he realized the impact that that amount of, of celebrity, the impact that that reputation can do to the world. And in many ways, he is a prime example of what I'm suggesting is he has transformed himself and his company and Think Food Group and now the World Central Kitchen into this awareness and this manifestation about what the food experience must mean and can mean. And again, that's interesting because then you're going you're going further than just selling a service and a product. You're selling a philosophy, which you touched on a bit before. It's going to be a very different set of, you call them leadership skills or leadership mindset or paradigm you need to activate to achieve these things because the way you did things before definitely not going to work in the new normal. So what is your guess if you should, you know, think about what is that, you know, you see that he does? What is that he does as a leader? What is that that has set him apart? Rather than the suggestion of what Jose has done, I think that the leadership skills that are going to be required and that are going to be evidencing themselves come in my mind, from two major sources. One is one which I have always deeply believed in, and I know the majority of the series of your programs has talked about 
is culture. What are you teaching? Is a culture in the restaurant? What kind of people are you hiring? Are they wanting to work there? Do they believe in this philosophy? Do they believe in the power of this food experience? And can they help us transmit it with what is going to have to be a smaller amount of staff? And the other is getting away very far away from the solely business-oriented textbook spreadsheet binder, social media metrics, diametrics, mathematics aspect of running restaurants and getting right back to the foundation of what a restaurant is. We have one job at the end of the day, make people happy. And for years, make people happy just meant that they left the restaurant with a smile on their face and left a good gratuity for the server and hopefully wrote a good review online. That was make people happy. I think we need to investigate what does happy mean. Happy means fed. Happy means restored. Happy means satisfied. Happy means proud. You know, I talked about, you know, the 35 years I've been in this business and at the age of 50 now, I'm lucky enough to be this bridge between the very old school mentality of when restaurants had these philosophies and we didn't have to have podcasts about them. They didn't have to have books written about them, nor did they have to be taught in seminars or training sessions. It was understood. This is how you run a restaurant. It wasn't even talked about. Well, all of a sudden that faded away with the advent and the explosion of the corporate mentality and the aggressive push of business and the philosophies, the cultures got pushed further and further down the list. I think that now this reawakening, this reinvention, and that's what we have to look at this as. It's not just when is this going to be over so that we can go back to the way that things were. And I think that even if we were lucky enough in some fantasy world Michael, for this to be over at some point and for everything to go back the way that it was, I say that it shouldn't. I don't want this industry and this culture to go back to where it was. I work in a restaurant so that I can make some money and I don't like my shifts and the managers argue and there's a corporate beatdown and I have more followers and you're losing the sight. You're losing the vision of what we're supposed to be doing. So a very long answer to your question is that it is going to have to be about you as an individual, and I don't care if you're an owner or a general manager, manager, or what rank you hold in the restaurant, you understanding why do you want to work here. And I completely accept the transient nature of this business. You know this, Michael. That's never going to change. But well, that's where your life is today. You know, that's where your life is on April the 23rd, 2020 at 5.15 p.m., I am a server in Station 2 at Restaurant XYZ. This is my life. So you have a responsibility to yourself, to your coworkers, to the operation, and the guest and your community to be the best at that right now. And I think that if we find ways to stop talking about this as a repair, as a restoration, as a return, let's not use those words. Let's use words like a reformation, a restoration, a rebirth, a reawakening, a re-envisioning. And that's how we're going to not only be able to maintain the financial viability of a restaurant or this industry, but make it live up to the expectations that it is required to live up to, to be a part of the community, to show their appreciation to the community for everything the community has done for us. Us, especially when a restaurant is very successful, with that comes a great deal of arrogance. Look how busy we are, or this guest is disposable because there's a waiting line of an hour and a half behind them. And who cares if that table left angry because we're packed tonight? No, 
You can't think like that. You can't think like that. It matters. We matter to this community just as they matter to us. And out of that communion, out of that symbiosis, therein will come the rebirth of this business. It's about finding, you know, the core of, you know, you, you call it purpose, culture, and, and, and get that to live in any kind of way and have that as your, you know, guiding star of where you're going because there's not going to be any short-term games anymore. There's only going to be a long whole game if you are in, in many businesses, including restaurants. And restaurants in my world have always been the long game. There's been too many talks about quick wins and, you know, sell-off and growth strategies around, you know, to expand. And then they all gone wrong in a way. Before you're doing what you're doing now, you worked in the industry just as I did. And, you know, how many times have you heard a server who walks out at the end of the shift with $700 in their pocket saying, this is the greatest job since organized labor was created. And the next day they make $25 and they want to burn the restaurant down. You know, it's, there, there is no short game. So in the end of the podcast, Robert, we always ask the guests as on, or I ask them, uh, what would you be advice right now be to, to leaders in the, the industry? What is the, you know, one or two or three things they should do straight away in this period, if you open or not open? If I was lucky enough or perhaps unlucky enough to be in that position where they came to me for advice, I would say that those of you that are not operating at all right now, be strong, be courageous, make the right choices about your future, get back to business as soon as you're able to do so, whatever that means to you. If that means tomorrow you're reopening to do sandwiches, or if that means until you wait till the ban is over to reopen as regularly as you possibly can, hurry back. To those of you that are currently working and operating, and doing these socially involved things. Continue to do this and God bless you and thank you for what you are doing, but don't forget the power of what you are doing. To everybody in this industry, you know, and Michael, something we skipped over way at the beginning, but I ducked out of this industry just about a week before all of this broke loose because I was much in the same position that the entire industry is right now of wanting to reinvent myself, saying, I've had this fantastic resume. I don't want just another great job, another great restaurant or company on my resume, what does it all mean? What do I take my totality of my passion for philosophy and theater and restaurants? How do I make all of that mean something? Not only to make myself more fulfilled, not successful, but more fulfilled. And how do I give back to the business and back to the industry? And to those of you, my brothers and sisters in this industry, that is my recommendation for you. Take the opportunity and don't look at this as a time of suffering and as a time of struggle and strife. Look at this as a tremendous, tremendous opportunity for self-evaluation and self-assessment and say, you know what? Not only are we going to come back, we are going to come back stronger and bigger and better and more successful. Not just financially, but more successful than we ever did before. That is how this restaurant is going to survive. That is how this industry is going to thrive. And that is how the community, and I speak just from my own selfish locality, that is how Washington, D.C. is going to come running back to us, not just to give us money, but to hug us and thank us because we will again be reunited at the bar, reunited at the table. If both sides are aware of how deeply and fundamentally we need each other and how powerful that food experience is for both sides of the table.
Super interesting. So it's a time for reflection and reinvention on all levels of yourself, your your business, and your role in society. That's in principle what I can hear you saying. And use that time to do that reflection now because you're probably not going to get it again. It's like a very unique opportunity. Well, agreed. One of the first conversations that you and I had a month or two ago was the things I have been most passionate about in this business and the things that I find myself teaching. And it's not obvious after the past half hour or so, the things that I find myself preaching about most often have nothing to do with restaurants. It has to do with a work ethic, a sense of community responsibility, a sense of charity, a sense of communion, a sense of family, a sense of duty. That is what we need to be focused on. Good advice, Robert. Thank you, Robert, for spending your valuable time on the podcast here. And if people want to follow you and find out more about you, where where, where would they go? Uh, where can they find you online? Yes, thank you, Michael. I would love to hear from people. Please feel free to comment or message me directly on both Twitter and Instagram. My handle there is Cheviot Court, C-H-E-V-I-O-T-C-O-U-R-T. That's all one word, Cheviot Court on either Instagram or Twitter. I would love to hear from you, not only to continue this conversation, get your feedback, but hopefully we together can be the kindling to start the fire that is needed underneath this rebirth thank you very much robert and you stay safe with uh, your family and loved ones likewise to you michael and to all the listeners be safe and we'll see you in the restaurants very soon robert thanks you so much for your insight and views on the current situation and the future from a u.s and washington point of view and also thanks for your strong advice on how to survive and thrive if you enjoyed today's podcast please give us a like share rate or subscribe to one of our channels Thanks to Let's Talk Video Production for your support on the podcast. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our newsletter at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be maverick.